Hello, my Lonely Hour listeners. This is your host, Julia, and I'm here to tell you that we have a brand new season that you can find on Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcher.com slash lonelyhour to sign up now. You'll get access to ad-free episodes and archives of some of your other favorite shows, as well as exclusive bonus episodes of hit podcasts, early access to new releases, and over 300 stand-up comedy albums. You'll also have the option to donate to The Lonely Hour, which is the best way to support it. Thank you for helping us keep this show going. I've long wanted to put together an episode exploring loneliness and creativity. Artists, perhaps especially writers, as we explored in season one, often need to be alone to produce their best work. When my team and I set out to find a subject to interview for the show, our producer, Chris McLeod, suggested musician David Bazan. For years, I toured alone a lot. But there was always a band tour coming up the next time around. Mm -hmm. And so a solo tour that is sort of you know, flip-flop with a band tour every other one, that that's a different thing than, like, six solo tours in a row and knowing that this isn't, this isn't embroidery on the fabric of <laughs> what you are. This is the fabric. Like, being around other people doing this work is sort of the icing. This is, this is the cake. Um, you, you live alone. <laughs> That's fr- it, it's a different story, and it's one that makes the time itself harder. It makes it to where I don't, I don't, suddenly it's not as, I'm not as game for it. So I've, I've, I've been slowly trying to figure out what that means. David is a singer-songwriter who spends about half the year on tour. He used to do this with a band, most notably Pedro the Lion. But over the last few years, his solo work has gained momentum. So that means more time solo. You start to get to the point where your sort of basic friendships with people just start to erode, where you just don't have... I I could just slip through the cracks, you know, like I could... You know how you just have that basic group of friends that you check in on them and they check in on you and yeah. there just wasn't anybody like that. Yeah, I didn't have time to be friends with people. It was all sort of past interaction that we were still sort of trying to maintain on, you know, rather than like new experiences that you're sharing. Because I just was always behind the wheel of my car by myself, you know. So what is that? Do you foresee yourself continuing to do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, the craft and the, there isn't anything else that I can do, really. I mean, I might start a podcast or something, but, I, you know, nothing to, <laughs> maybe I'll write a book one day, but I think this is, this is the thing that I'm kind of obsessed with, um, making, fitting noises together so they make it songs. I'm going to hand the reins over to Chris for this one, not only because he's a longtime fan, but also because, like David, Chris comes from an evangelical Christian background. Stick with us and you'll find this interview takes a pretty mind-blowing turn. Growing up a pastor's kid, I was completely consumed with Christian music and Christian culture. I loved music. I wanted to soak up everything I could get my hands on. But as I was only allowed to listen to Christian music, most of the time it ended up sounding something like this. 
Bands like DC Talk, Newsboys, and Audio Adrenaline were my world for much of my youth. Through these bands, I thought I had discovered rock and roll, and Jesus gave it to me. But when I was 14 or 15, a new music scene started creeping into my world that changed everything. Tooth and Nail, a Christian label out of Seattle, was putting out punk, hardcore, and indie rock records. You could find them in Christian bookstores if you looked hard enough, but nothing like this was being played on Christian radio. These bands had points of view beyond worship inside the church, and they were more interested in creating art than being part of the Christian music machine. Dave Bazan's band, Pedro the Lion, was part of this crew. I mean, the, my first job was to kind of get out of the ghetto of Christianity, the cultural ghetto. At a certain point, I just realized, I don't want my records in Christian bookstores. I want people to have to go to Tower to buy them. I want Christians to have to go there. If it's for the first time, then hallelujah. Right. You know, maybe yeah. they'll see something else that they like and realize that this is a place where they can feed their souls, mm-hmm. you know, um, that there's life here. I don't know if it was just vanity or if it, but I felt like I had something to offer in the general flow of ideas and music culture. And, you know, I, I felt like I had something to offer outside of that Christian ghetto. Because if you're just pretty good, you can make it in Christian music, you know? (laughs) Um, It's just like, you know, it's a lot of, there's just a lot of bad music in it. A few years after his transition away from Christian music, Dave started to doubt his faith. He started reading the Bible critically and worked through some core tenets of Christianity, questioning them and trying to figure out for himself exactly what he believed. I had always assumed that God existed. Uh, I always had assumed that hell was real and all these things. Those were never, because I grew up in that world, you know, I just, my first conscious thoughts were that those, that was reality. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to take this seriously, I should go and find the, if not proofs for those things, investigate to my own satisfaction that those are leaps of faith that I am taking on my own, not just on the word of the people that I came from, which is essentially what it was if I hadn't done the work myself. Original Sin uh, kind of fell pretty quickly after having a daughter. I just thought I I don't I don't understand and could never love a being who just so easily decides to separate from his beloved creation. It just it made I just couldn't understand. Um and thought how 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 would that ever be attractive to me? Somebody who thinks that power is the thing that woos me, that shows a force that's going to woo me and abandoning your fucking kids? Fuck you. 
No. I was trembling with goose flesh. First time I prayed to speak in tongues. So original sin was gone. And uh, yeah. And then what's Jesus, if original sin is not, is not there, what's he the counterweight to? Um, he's just a dope-ass teacher at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. Talking about, like, losing God, so I'm, I'm with you. What started was the, like, thinking it through, like, this shit doesn't make sense, right? Like, right. Th- it doesn't add up. Like, just pillars of what you believe fall one at a time. Um, yeah, that's the, I had that picture in my head, literally, of just like, oh, when the inerrancy fell, it was like I had these four pillars, and uh, that one went, and then hell went, and original sin went, and then there was just sort of like God slash Jesus, that pillar just sort of like hanging out there on its own, like, okay, what do we do now? Right. <laughs> exactly. In 2009, Dave released his first solo album called Curse Your Branches. These lyrics picked apart theological points and pointed out the flaws in our religious culture. wanted to love the album wholeheartedly, but as a Christian and the son of Christians and the husband of a Christian, I felt conflicted. Were these questions even allowed? It was a record that I wrote sort of reluctantly yet. I was going to start writing my first full length under my own name. And I, I mean, like I do always, because I kind of hate myself. I always think of this next record as an opportunity to sort of redefine myself. Or I wanted to be Spoon, you know? I wanted to just write about some cool shit, you know? Um, I still want to be like that. <laughs> But the songs that were coming, the early songs were all, all these songs that ended up being Kershaw Branches, basically. All of the um, is songs sort of parsing um, theological points and drinking and marriage and, you know, all the normal stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really didn't want to write a record about any of those things. Pretty soon I realized, oh, this is the record. Like, this is what my body's wanting to do. I just needed to work through it all still, I think. Um, as sort of like an exit interview or sort of like a th- therapy. Like therapy does just sort of heal that wound, you know. Yeah. So that was 
I don't know. It was cool. It was something my my brain and body just provided me kind of what I needed for the next couple of years um, to just sing those tunes, sort of hashing out those thoughts and ideas, asking those questions. Well, my experience with that record was like, it kind of fucks you up because you want to love it, but also like, I, it's like, but you're not supposed to at the same time and you don't know why you love it. Like this isn't, this, this is something different. You know, this isn't Christian music. This, this is uh, something that's questioning sort of core tenets of, of who I am and what I do, but you're still drawn to it. Well, it's, you know, it's just as or more reverent than any Christian music there ever was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even as I'm dismantling certain thoughts and ways of thinking for myself, that's the other thing is it's if you if you look at it, it's a really personal record. It's um it's about things that are happening inside my my body and my brain. So okay, well for me, you know, trying to be a Christian artist for a long time and like touring, playing in churches, I was a worship leader at three, four churches. So I was working full time in the church. And um, that's what my dad did all growing up. Really? He was a music pastor. He still loves doing that work. Um, what is What does your dad think about like some of these songs? Like, what does he think about the Curse Your Branches? Like, is that a conversation you guys have? Like, uh, yeah, he, he played the, he's the last he plays the last music on the whole record. He's the, he plays piano in the song In Stitches. Really? Yeah, I mean, I he understood the record. He knew me, um, you know, and, and you know, I sat there when we were getting when we, I was finishing it, and I was trying to to maybe it's appropriate to end on in, in stitches, which is um, not atheistic, but unhappy with the picture of God that that we're dealing with, um, and so I was sort of hashing that out with him. Um, and uh, he said, well, do you need it? What else do you need to have played on it? And I said, uh, he said, do you need any piano yet? You know? And I said, yeah, I think so. You want to play on this song? And he said, yeah, that sounds good. So in a way, he kind of gets the last word. I kind of feel like that the, the little outro is his, is almost his little comment you know on the on the thing his sadness at the end or his sort of somberness you know so that was that was pretty cool to for me because it was some indication of if not agreement certainly it wasn't an indication of agreement but of support in spite of that, you know. And that was pretty pretty special.
Yeah, that's that's beautiful, man. I'm I'm honestly envious. Like, so my dad's a pastor, and I mm-hmm. my last job in the church was at his church, and um, he I'm in that time was like one of the one of the di- most difficult times in my life. Like, I'm essentially losing my faith while I'm in front of a congregation every single week, like leading, leading worship. That's so hardcore, man. (laughs) That is not fun. When in June 2015, the news dropped that the Supreme Court decided that same-sex marriage would be legal, I thought about having to go to work the next day at a church that believed same-sex relationships were sinful. My father, the pastor, called me into his office He told me the church would be reworking its official church documents to define marriage exclusively as the union of a man and a woman. I told him I didn't land where he landed on this issue, and he was really graceful about it, but he also asked me that I not make an issue of it in the church. When I eventually read the new documents, I realized that I couldn't really say I believed any of it anymore. I knew that my time in that church, that job, and even that city had an expiration date. Who else knew about this thing that was happening inside your, inside you? <laughs> uh, my wife and a few close friends, but really nobody else. Like n- nobody in the church. I didn't feel comfortable. Anybody, you know, my dad, not my mom. Um, Ooh, man, that's hardcore. <laughs> And I never, but I never had that moment with my dad of, of, uh, that moment of healing. Like, I think that's still to come. Sure. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm, I'm envious of, of you for that, for that moment. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an ongoing thing. You know, I think that it's, it's always more difficult with my mom. Um, she just has more difficult feelings to deal with than, than my dad does. And so it's harder for her. It's always going to be harder for her. She's always going to be haunted by me in torment. Uh, if I, God forbid, if I die before she does, it's, you know, she's going to really struggle. Um, and so that's just, uh, you know, I think it can maybe get easier uh, with just trying to spend time and connect. But, you know, if, she's left alone with her thoughts about it for too long without new input of just me coming around and saying, Hey, or whatever. She just goes spiraling down. I think it's like, Oh my God, he's going to burn in hell. Oh my God, he's going to burn in hell. Jesus. It's just how, you know, it's just how she was raised is how she was programmed to think about everything. Yeah. It's just like, so I try to ease her of that, but just talking about something else, I guess. Right. You know. For me, there was a moment when, um, so left the church. Mm-hmm. Faith was basically, I mean, I was at the low lowest at this point. Like it was gone. Like I'd, I had sort of come to grips without really telling anyone that I didn't believe in God anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know if atheist is the right word, but sure. you know, it's in that ballpark for sure. Like it wasn't there for me. And then there was a moment when I like, I fucked up. Like I, I did something I regretted that was bad, that hurt people that I loved. The thing that I did that night that I'm not proud of 
was have about three drinks too many and find myself kissing a woman who wasn't my wife, a woman I had just met. I told my wife about it the next day, and we worked through it, are continuing to work through it. Like, normally when that would happen, you at least have the, you can repent and feel forgiveness, right? Like, right. like your father is there to tell you it's going to be okay. And that, like, in that moment for me, I was like, oh, fuck, that's gone. Like, that to me. I don't have that anymore, yeah. <laughs> like, that forgiveness is gone. Like, um, I mean, it, it exists in, in the people around me, but, but that thing inside of me that was like, right. it's, oh, that was just in my head the whole time. What, what, what did you find with, uh, you know, the, the thing that people really like to trot out is that, well, without God, there's no morality. What, what was your experience? For me, I had to then be a good person because I wanted to be a good person, not, not to yeah. make God happy, but to make me happy to make my family happy and maybe happy is not even the right word like I don't want to fuck up my family because I love my wife I don't want her to be hurt you know right like I want to be a good dad because I care about how my kids turn out not yes because I'm that's what I'm supposed to do or that's what God wants me to do now it's like no it's like no I actually am doing this like I'm like these choices that I'm making are my choices and they're impacting these people that I care about yeah, suddenly, suddenly it matters what you do in a different way. Um, like your actions matter all of a sudden. That was actually one of the the ingredients, I guess, that got me to where I left was I thought, I, I just realized I had the desire to be a good man, mm-hmm. not for to go to heaven or to be praised by people around me, but just because I felt like it was going to be better for my wife and my kids and that we were all going to have a happier life if I was a better man. Like you're saying, have this thing that happened, you're just stuck with the consequences of it. (laughs) You actually have to sort of earn your way back. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and then learning how to live without that, you have to sort of relearn how to uh, function yeah at least I did you know i yeah I think so, and you know there's no absolution that is just sort of free um it matters what you do if you dig yourself a deep enough hole, you can fuck everything up, you know it's and the and it, that was always the case, but now i just i wanted it to be that way, I wanted to be responsible for my own you know to take responsibility for my actions right. for the first right. time, you know. Sorry, that was a long-winded way of saying, like, I feel you, man. (laughs) It's really things, you hope the world is a certain way based on data and just what's inside your own body. Um, And... So people will talk about a loss of faith. It's a, it was really a shift of faith. I shifted my faith from those things to a different set of ideas. Mm. Namely, it doesn't it doesn't matter enough to tear yourself up over this stuff. <laughs> I I came to that realization, and that was a central tenet of my faith for a long time. It might still be mm. um, that that obsessing over those things is not healthy and it's not helpful. Um, 
pull back from that stuff and try to figure out how to meet the needs of the people around you. And you're going to be healthier. And so I, my faith shifted from Christianity is the truth and, you know, Jesus is God or whatever to this different, much simpler, much more peaceful faith, which was focus on the things right in front of you on the ground that need your attention, your children, your wife, your work, your family, your friends, your community. Um, and don't worry about heaven and hell. And don't worry about those metaphysical questions because it's you'll be fine if you do this. And I believed that way more easily than I believed that Christianity is the the true descriptive uh, uh, sort of tradition of of the world. of faith or faith transition or whatever it ends up being has been largely done on my own, in my own thoughts, in my own brain. But talking with Dave, this guy who's always been a couple steps ahead of me on my own journey about what life can be like on the other side, it gives me some hope. Thanks to David Bazan for being on this episode. Visit David Bazan, that's B-A-Z-A-N.com to see his upcoming tour dates and to buy his new album, Care, which is available digitally and on vinyl. And thanks to Chris for being so brave and sharing his story with The Lonely Hour. Do you have questions about this episode? You can email me at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at lonelypodcast. Or you can find me on The Lonely Hour's Facebook page. And sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com and you'll be the first to know when the next episode drops. Until then, enjoy yourself. This episode was produced at The Listening Booth with executive producer Terrence Mickey, producer Chris McLeod, and me, assistant producer Carrie Ann Thomas. The listening booth. Certainly make me think twice. There's a story inside.